0: And Thanks for listening to the Northern Logger podcast. This month, we are talking about a story that ran in our November 2021 silviculture issue of the Northern Logger. So the story got its start when on August 5th of this year, four forestry-minded professionals set out for a day hike into Man Gulch, which is on the Helena Lewis and Clark National Forest all the way out in Montana. That day happened to be the 72nd anniversary of a tragic fire, the Man Gulch Fire, which claimed the lives of 13 young men. And this fire is familiar to many because it's the subject of Norman Maclean's classic book, Young Men and Fire. So these four forestry professionals had each explored nearby sites to where the fire had happened, but none had previously made the hike all the way into Man Gulch. And they organized this hike and got together and decided that it would not only be a good place to go to learn about the history, but also to have collegial discussions about topics that interested all of them. So the group was made up of four transplants to Montana who all had interests in local geography and various backgrounds in the field of forestry. There was Holly Fretwell, who was a Western native uh, originally from Washington State, and she writes on public land and forest policy issues. There's Nate Anderson, who grew up in New Hampshire and now works as a research forester with the U.S. Forest Service Rocky Mountain Research Station in Missoula. There was Allison Berry, who's originally from Massachusetts and is now a natural resource research consultant with Woodland Resources in Bozeman, Montana. And then finally, a name that will be familiar to readers of the Northern Logger, Steve Bick, who's a private sector forestry consultant in New York, who also spends part of each year in Montana. So this group got together, and after their hike, they realized that this format for a meeting could be something more than just a one-time experience. It was so much better than being on Zoom or being in these formal long meetings that happen at conferences, because not only were they able to talk about the professional issues that interested them, they were also able to get get to know each other a bit, and things came out that were interesting that might not have in other contexts. So we were able to talk to Steve and Allison about their experience of going on the hike, and also about how they think this might translate into a good professional resource for others in the field of forestry and related professions. So this is Steve and Allison. So I really liked in the article, uh, the Plato quote, the possible Plato quote that you included that uh, said, you can discover more about a person in an hour of play than in a year of conversation. And I thought that was a nice starting point maybe for our conversation, just to talk about how you arrived at the idea of going on walks as an alternative to Zoom meetings or conference meetings or other more formal
1: formats. I have to give Steve credit for coming up with that quote. Do you think that was actually Play-Doh, Steve? I, I don't know. I came across that while we were putting the article together and it it, and it seemed appropriate but there there was a um, no clarity on whether Plato said it or someone else said it uh-huh. uh, and like a lot of good ideas multiple people could have come up with it at different times but uh, I agree with it anyway
2: yeah yeah it was a good way to close out the article it, it definitely rings true I mean I think I mean the idea for coming up with this meeting it sort of evolved over time right and I, I mean I think Steve had Steve had actually planned this hike. More than a
1: year in advance, hadn't you? Uh, I I knew for sure that I wanted to make this hike. And in talking with people about it, I found a lot of people did. There were quite a few people who would have come if it was convenient. But, you know, Gulch isn't the easiest place to get to. You know, so so it, it took some planning. And, and we actually had to charter a boat to drop us off up there. We had... Uh, a challenging hike, not a not a super difficult hike, but it was it was a warm day and it was a lot of uh, uphill and downhill, so that tor- sort of weeded out who could who could come along that day. But as it was, we got a really good group to uh, to participate.
2: Yeah, and in my mind, it sort of evolved from more of an adventure into a little bit of a meeting because of the people that Steve invited. So our conversation sort of grew based on everyone's background and experience.
0: That makes total sense. I mean, you mentioned in the article that a lot of people are pretty tired of doing the Zoom meetings, just sitting in front of a desk all day after COVID. Uh, And so can you talk a little bit personally about just how this
2: format changed your degree of interaction? Sure, Um, I mean, I think at first, When the pandemic hit, Zoom seemed like such a lifesaver and such a great way to connect. And we were doing Zoom meetings, not just for more for work, but also more with family and friends. And it was really unique. And then it just totally, the the novelty wore off. And then the same thing sort of happened on the reverse end when we came out of the pandemic. Oh, it was great to see people in person again. And we're in an office and we're in a conference room and we're in a meeting. And then that wore off again, too. And so sort of just that whole experience of realizing that it doesn't have to be an office setting. It doesn't have to be Zoom. It doesn't have to be a conference table. You can actually get out and experience something and still get something out of it, if not more.
1: You have to say, I hadn't burned out on the Zoom meetings because I I don't have to be in too many of them. But a lot of the people that I was interacting with were spending all day there. Uh, particularly the public agency people, and and I I kind of feel bad for them because you know if you're in a meeting all day, how do you actually get your work done? And and the advantage of a meeting in person is everything that's not on the agenda that you end up talking about. You know we we could have gotten uh, Nate Anderson and Holly Fretwell to join Allison and I on a Zoom call and talked about a specific item for an hour, and that probably would have been about it. But instead we spent the day together. And talked about quite a range of things, and uh, you know had some fun planning the adventure. And then we were there, and we did it. And even when we got back to the parking lot, we found some shade and and uh, talked about it some more.
0: There's a nice parallel in journalism, which is just that whenever you turn off your recorder or turn off your camera, you usually learn more in the ten minutes that you're just relaxing with the person you just interviewed than you do a full interview. So that makes total sense to me that a more casual atmosphere would lead to a broader scope of conversation.
1: You know, having gone to conferences for years and then put on continuing ed workshops all over the region, it doesn't take long to see that people really enjoy the breaks the most and the, the chance to interact. And if you are able to get a good discussion going rather than a lecture uh, it's just that much more meaningful. so so, why not you know skip the parts that we don't like and and go to really what everybody's after and still have a have a productive day and a, a walk really lends itself to that. so
0: when you decided, Steve, that you wanted to get everybody together, did you find it difficult to organize?
1: well, the, there there were some challenges in getting in there, but uh, uh, and then and then making sure we had a day that everybody could go. And I think four people, any less might have been not enough, and you know there could be five or six, and it could have been fine. But we were limited by the number of people that would fit on the boat. And I had just to give you a little backstory on the whole event. I had been up there to the gates of the mountains on the Missouri River, taking the tour boat. I know Allison has been up there in the past, and it's just fantastic. And you go by the entrance of Man Gulch, and about the time that happened, we had a fire in the Bridger Mountains outside of Bozeman. And that got me thinking more about wildfire. And I said, you know, I really need to read uh, the Norman McLean book, Young Men and Fire, because I'd never read it. And I know so many people that had. So after I read it, it, it became firm in my mind that we should go there. And when I took that tour with my family on the Missouri River, that they mentioned that sometimes people charter boats. I think I was talking to the boat captain. After the tour, he said people can char- charter a boat from here to take them up there and drop them off. So I reached out uh, to the, the terrific people at Gates of the Mountains and the the family that runs that operation, uh, and in particular Tim Crawford uh, was very helpful and said, "Sure, my son can take you up there." And uh, we got there to meet him and and got kind of an impromptu lecture, didn't we, Allison? On on the history of the man, Gulch Fire. He was a uh, wealth of information, yeah. Yeah, t- Tim had actually been to the Gulch with Norman McLean and with Robert Sally, one of the survivors. And so, gosh, he knew an awful lot about it. And we learned more than we would have just uh, if we'd just gone up there on our own.
0: Wow. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a lot of things came together to really make it work. I wanted to talk, you mentioned the amount of people that were on this specific Trip, but I wanted to talk about some of the parameters that you laid out in the article about, you know, how this format might work or not work. Um, I have it it's here too. Okay, I'm in the section about uh, where there's the list of we developed a few suggestions for normalizing the field conference format. Pick a site that will inform the discussion and inspire thoughtful conversation. I mean, obviously, this was a really interesting site both from a forestry perspective and from a historical perspective. Yeah, and I mean, we did, we talked about,
2: well, I think even in the article, I think we provided some suggestions of like other types of locations you could visit for Mm -hmm. other types of topics. You know, we talked about maybe a sawmill or a timber sale, you know, there's, I mean, sort of the sky's the limit. There's all sorts of different options depending on where you want to focus and what you want to do.
1: Yeah, the the setting almost doesn't matter, though. That's sort of the hook to get people there. But if you get the right mix of people, you know, so, for example, I'm trying to get a small group of people to visit the old mine at Tejas, New York, next week. And if that comes together, uh, we're going to have some great conversations uh, up there. We're going to look at how a logger has diversified his business by adding stone products. We're going to talk about how important stone has become in climate adaptation in forest management. You know, our roads don't hold up to the extent they did in the past, and stone is a great way to improve and reinforce forest roads. So you got those aspects of it. And then whatever else everyone brings uh, to the mix there. So, you know, if you have some topics in mind, you could even assign, you know, an article or a podcast ahead of time to sort of get that discussion going. You also have, you know, like any experience, you have the travel, the planning, the travel too, where where a lot of conversations take place. So, uh, you know, I don't think you need much more than a, uh, a general outline of what you want to cover and, and maybe somebody to move that along. But at the end of the day, you can come away knowing more than you did before and, and about and uh, knowing more about the people that you were with that day.
0: Right. Um, and so. I think that it's interesting how you say in the article that you know, it's not necessary to do formal presentations like you might in a different uh, context uh, because each of you will already have something to share and it's not like you have to stand up there and say, hi, I'm Steve Bick and here's my resume. But I wanted to talk about part of this that is identifying the gains that will come from a day in the field versus something that will come from a more formal context. I mean, how do you set your goals for an event like this?
2: I I would just say it depends on what you really want to get out of it. You know, I mean, our this experience was, was relatively loose and there was no formal presentations planned and there was not really a formal schedule or agenda or anything like that. But, you know, if you do have something more specific you're trying to achieve, that could be worked in as well. It just has to do with, you know, what you're trying to do with your time.
1: I think for this trip in particular, it was really worthwhile for the group to get to know each other better. So I was fortunate to be the one person that sort of knew everybody. Uh, Holly and Allison go way back and have worked together, and I work with Allison quite a bit. So I knew that their interests would dovetail pretty closely with Nate Anderson. Nate is a researcher with the Forest Service, but but they don't know each other, and they don't live all that far apart. So it was a good... A good way to, to put us all together, and uh, I think Nate ended up being the one answering the most questions over the course of the day. Whether it was why does the Forest Service do this, or what is you what do you see as the future of you know these various bio and those possibilities, or uh, talking about hey was it really worth it for all these young people to come up here in the Mangalch to try to put this fire out? You know, was saving that really isn't more important than their lives. And, and and I don't think anyone thinks that. But if they had pulled it off and no one had gotten hurt, you know, it might have been a, you know, uh, a great success. So, um, you know, we did look at some hard questions like that. And uh, I, I want to point out that apart from us having an enjoyable day, it was kind of humbling to walk up there and see that these young people had, you know, tried to – to put this fire out and and run for their lives up an incredibly steep grade and and, uh, uh, and and you know the crosses there and the dates and everything that makes you think you know we we were all old enough I think to have some perspective that these people really lost their lives at a young age and missed out on an awful lot. So, you know, there was that takeaway uh, from the day as well.
0: From the information you include in the article, it just seems like an extremely tragic event that happened there. And the ones that survived were lucky too.
1: And I think the Forest Service took some lessons away from that and it forced them to rethink how that, you know, that was really in the very early days of using smoke jumpers. And, you know, an escape fire was sort of invented on the spot. And I won't won't pretend to, to know that much about fighting wildfires being a, being an Easterner, but they took some lessons away from that. And I suppose we took some lessons away from seeing what what went on there. That forest still really hasn't recovered, has it, Allison? It's it's pretty wide yeah, open. Yeah,
2: it looks a lot different than it did from the pictures that we saw, the historical photos. And um, yeah, as a result of the Manulch incident, I mean, it, they created the whole fire science lab in Missoula that still is a, a big innovator in fire science even today and they implemented all sorts of different policies and um, procedures for firefighter safety on wildland fires so it i mean there were some lessons learned for sure at a big price
1: yeah that that turned into be an important topic in our discussion that day and and nate had a lot of insight on okay how does the you know how does the Forest Service approach wildfire? How do they approach uh, fuel reduction, which is a a big Easter, a bi- a big issue in in the West? Uh, you know, not so much in the East here and are there there um, market approaches to reducing fuel loads and all that all that sort of thing? So I, I think Holly in particular was was interested in that because a lot of her work has involved what I think of as policy related issues uh, around the management of federal lands.
0: Do you have anything, do either one of you have anything else like this planned uh, in future months?
1: Kind of an out extension of my forest business school program. So we're going to, participants in that are going to, whoever can make it, is going to spend a day looking at the old mine there. Earlier this week, I was on a Zoom call of service providers for Vermont's forest viability program, uh, and we would periodically prior to the pandemic, we'd periodically get together. And I sort of launched the idea in the chat room that next time we should have a field trip. That audience uses Zoom a whole lot more than I do. So there was a lot of people on board with that pretty early on to the point where I got a note this morning and we're planning to have a winter field trip together. So there, you you know, get everyone together in the same place and make it someplace interesting and see what comes of it.
2: And we did discuss with this group, the four of us, to do try to make an annual outing of some kind, you know, not not to the same spot each time, but to try to do something different and new each, maybe
1: on an annual basis.
2: Oh, that's great. That's
1: There's great. a lot of small local breweries that could be visited.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, that <laughs> yeah. was definitely... <laughs> I imagine that, that helps stimulate conversation as well.
2: <laughs> right.
0: Yeah, I mean, it also strikes me, I went to a meeting this past summer, and some folks at the meeting were talking about just when it comes to letting different legislators understand what's going on in the forest, how important it is to get them to actually visit job sites and, like, see what a forestry operation looks like. And so it strikes me that you know, there could be an extension of this that has to do with bringing people on to sites that are not familiar with forestry or uh, the, you know, the industry at all. Is that something that you think would be
2: appropriate? I think that'd be great. I mean, I, I think you're totally right on with this, with policymakers in particular, you know, spend so much time in their office and on Zoom calls and phone calls and meetings to get the and you know, yeah, might not have so much of a feel for what goes on in the field. So, yeah, I think it's especially valuable for folks who aren't working in the
1: field all the time or have little to no familiarity with it. Right. Yeah, to get them to, to, to see what's going on, but then to talk to the people involved and realize how they're impacted by the work of the legislators. That's that's uh, important. I'd like to add something about you know the continuing ed aspect of this if I if I right. could. Great. Yes, please. So so you know, this isn't a new idea going on a field trip, but you know, I spent a lot of my career on continuing ed programs for people in the forestry world and and you know hopefully giving them things that are practical. And and I think the unfortunate trend we've seen is that a lot of times it's just a question of trading your time for credits. You go to a workshop because the date and location are convenient. The topic may or may not interest you. The presenters may or may not do a good job. But it's almost like continuing ed has become, um, you know, we turned it into almost punishment. We're going to make you do this and then mark it down that we did. And, you know, credits aside, continuing education should be about coming away with something you can use in your work, coming away and knowing more than you did before. And I think this format really lends itself to that. And, uh, you know, I would like to see see more of the various bodies that put out training and count credits to look at things like this as a way to to do it and and serve the needs of the people that they're offering the education to.
0: Okay, well, that's really my questions.
1: Great. Well, thank, thanks for, for running it.
0: Yeah, for sure. Hey, thanks for listening to the Northern Logger podcast. And thanks again to Steve Bick and Allison Barry for speaking to us about their article, which appears in the November 2021 Northern Logger, Walking is Better Than Zooming. Have a great month.